0: All right, we're going to read some scripture here. This is from uh, Matthew chapter one, uh, and we're going to read this familiar stories, familiar words. But uh, let's let them sink in uh, again on this uh, day after Christmas. Matthew chapter one, beginning verse eighteen. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Let's let's pray together, shall we? Father, we are so grateful um, for the opportunity to gather together on this the day after Christmas to uh, celebrate you and your arrival and your birth and to worship you. And as we've just sung, um, what what can we give you? Uh, Lord, you desire our hearts. And so uh, thank you for that uh, that new song that uh, speaks to us And Lord t- this morning we we give you our hearts and we give you our lives and ask as we uh, look again into your word that your spirit would uh, speak to us, that we would leave here being encouraged, that our lives would be changed because we've been here today to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So uh, bless us today and help us to be a blessing to others in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. Well, hopefully everybody 's okay with another Christmas message I, I noticed as I kind of follow uh, online some of the other uh, churches and what they 're doing. I noticed a few others are starting like new series a uh, new series on uh, this morning but uh, hey we 're just a day after Christmas, so we 're going to go one more uh, Christmas uh, message and we 've been looking really at a series in the month of December life lessons from the Christmas story. We started out looking at Simeon and uh, the lesson of contentment, and how God had revealed to Simeon, uh, an older man that was uh, a, a priest that uh, helped in the temple, that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And so when Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus in to offer their uh, offerings after the birth of Jesus... Simeon sees him and he takes Jesus in his arms and he basically says, I can now depart in peace because mine eyes have seen the Messiah. And and then uh, on the second Sunday of December, some of you uh, might remember, Scott Keane was here and we looked at the book of Ruth and Scott gave a great uh, overview of the book of Ruth and tied that into the Christmas story, how uh, the lineage of Ruth uh, is tied to the lineage of Jesus and how God behind the scenes worked uh, providentially in the life of uh, Ruth and Boaz and that story. And then last Sunday we looked at Mary and uh, the, the story of Mary, and it's the lesson of obedience, submission, humility to God. When uh, the angel appeared and gave Mary, probably 14, 15, 16 years old, this assignment, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah and Mary responds, "I am the Lord's servant." And we looked at that word "servant." It's not the word uh, "diakonos." It's the word "doule." It means to be a lifetime slave of Jesus of God. I'm a bond slave to you. And yes, may Your word, as You said, be spoken to me. And Mary said yes, said yes to Jesus uh, and and to the message of being the mother of of Jesus. Well, this morning we're going to look at um, a title of uh, the arrival of the Savior. And it's a unique name. It's first given to us in that very familiar verse in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And we've heard these uh, these words and these verses many, many times. But here it is. The Lord himself will give you a sign The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Emmanuel. So this morning we're going to look at Emmanuel. It means God with us. And we're going to look at what is the significance of Emmanuel, what is the significance in our lives, December 26, 2021, of the fact that God became flesh. You see, in the Old Testament, God's presence was symbolic uh, there's a word, and it's not found in our scriptures, but it's the transliteration of a Hebrew word that means dwelling, and it's the word Shekinah. And Shekinah represented the, the presence of God. Its first uh appearance is uh in the book of Exodus. Remember, the nation of Israel has gone through the Red Sea. They've been delivered through 400 years of Egyptian slavery and bondage. And remember what led them through the, the, their, their journey. It was the cloud that represented what? The presence of God. It was a cloud by day and a a cloud of fire by night. And it represented the presence of God. And wherever that cloud moved, the two million Israelites moved. But it represented the presence of God. In Exodus 33, we read about the a a tent of meeting that Moses sets up. And when Moses goes into that tent of meeting, it says the, the glory of God, the Shekinah of God, comes down on that tent, and it represents the very presence of God. When the temple was dedicated, Solomon's temple in 2 Corinthians, or Chronicles rather, chapter 7, we also discover... Uh, that God's presence was there, but it was as a symbolic presence. Let me read to you just a couple of verses. When Solomon finished praying, this is the dedication of his temple. It took him seven years to build. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good, His love, His mercy endures forever. Well, that's the presence of God in the Old Testament. It, it, was, it was symbolic. It was, it was a cloud. It was occasional. But now we come to the New Testament. Now we come to, to the Gospels and we discover that God's presence is no longer symbolic, but God Himself descends from heaven. And we read about it in Philippians chapter 2 and humbles Himself to become a human flesh. To become Just like you and just like me. And the Apostle John writes, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, literally tabernacled with us. And later on, John writes, uh, years later, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim the Word of life. We've seen Jesus. We've heard Him. We've touched Him. God Himself became human flesh. And so this morning we want to look at four practical applications of what it means for you and me that God actually took on human form and became flesh. As Colossians 2.9 puts it, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So here's the first one, and it's probably the most important one. It's the most obvious. Because Emmanuel, because God became human flesh, because God was with us, we have a Savior. We have a Savior. That was made clear from the angelic announcement to Joseph in Matthew one twenty one a passage we just read. She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Savior. And so the, the, the primary reason, the most significant application of God becoming human flesh is we needed a rescuer. We needed a Redeemer. And it couldn't be just any person, it had to be someone who was perfect and someone who was holy, because God demands a holy sacrifice. So Jesus came to be our Savior. The book of Hebrews, which this theme is the superiority of Christ, and the author of Hebrews writes to the, the Jewish people and says, Christ is superior to the angels. He's superior to the prophets. He's superior to the Old Covenant. He's superior to Moses. And, and we read about uh, why Jesus came in Hebrews 2.9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death or experience death for everyone. And so the author of Hebrews says, Jesus came to die for everyone. Now we might say, well, does that mean that everyone's going to make it to heaven? And the answer is, is no. As my theology professor used to say, the death of Jesus is sufficient for all. It's efficient for those that believe. The blood of Christ can pay for the, the sins of the world and did pay for the sins of the world, but it only benefits those who put their faith and trust in Him. And so Jesus came to be our Savior. And as uh, later on in the chapter Hebrews 2 says, he, he came to make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus came, became flesh, why? To be our Savior. Now, Simeon hinted at that when he um, gave his uh, word of, of praise and song of praise to uh, Mary and, and Joseph uh, in Luke chapter 2, and he sees Jesus uh, coming into the temple, and as we mentioned, he says, now I can depart in peace, but but later on in his song, the song of Simeon, he hints to Mary that... Um, Being the birth mother of Jesus is going to have some difficult moments. He says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. A sword will pierce your soul. Mary, you're going to have to stand someday at the foot of the cross and watch your son be crucified why did he do that he did that for you and for me and so the wonderful lyrics of uh, the, one of the choruses that we sing here wonderful merciful savior precious redeemer and friend who would have thought the lamb could rescue the souls of men oh you rescue the souls of men the primary reason that Jesus became flesh. The incarnation, God with us, is so that we could have a Savior. But there's another benefit to God with us. And it's not only that we can have a Savior, and, and um, as wonderful as that is, but there's several other reasons and benefits of God with us. And the second one is that we, so we can have serenity. We can have serenity. Isaiah 9, 6, that other familiar uh, prophecy that Isaiah gave uh, 700 years before the birth of Christ. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. He's going to be called, what, the Prince of Peace. He's going to bring peace. And so the significance of God with us is that We could have peace. Now, that world peace that we all long for is going to come after His second coming. There's something that's that's going to uh, happen after Christ comes a second time. It's called the Millennial Kingdom where He will rule and reign on this earth for 1,000 years. The lamb will lay down with the lion and there will be what peace on earth but Jesus came the first time to purchase our redemption so that we could have first of all peace with God. That's the first step of peace and we've already we've already looked at it that we are born sinners, we're born separated from God. In fact, the Bible says we're enemies of God. And how do we make that peace with God? How do we make that reconnection with God as we put our faith in Christ? and Him alone for our sins and our salvation, we can have peace. In fact, the words of Jesus, John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. So because God is with us, we can not only have salvation and a Savior, but we can have peace. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. We've made that, that peace with, with Him. It's the most important step that a person can make in their life. So it's not only that kind of peace. And let me, let me just read another verse that is very clear on that. It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so we can have peace with our Savior uh, through the blood of Jesus and putting our trust in him. But there's another kind of peace that the Prince of Peace offers to us that we all need to experience as well. Not only peace with God, but it's the peace of God. The Apostle Paul writes about it from a prison cell in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He tells us the, the way that we can experience not only peace with God, but in this world of chaos and trouble, the peace of God. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything. It's really an imperative. It says, stop worrying. Stop with your anxiety. What are we to do? But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, there's a promise in verse 7 that we're going to look at. And what we need to understand when we read the promises of the Bible is that some of them are unconditional promises. We don't have to do anything. Jesus says, I will never leave you and forsake you. There, there are other promises in the Bible that are conditional, and this is one of them. And the Apostle Paul says, if you want to experience this, this peace of God in your life, this peace that surpasses your, your circumstances and your understanding, you need to do something first. And what we need to do is stop worrying and then take our worries. And as uh, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares upon him. Or He cares for you. Oftentimes when we look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and I've had chances to uh, teach this in a small, smaller group setting, and I've done this myself many times, I get out a piece of paper and I write down my worry list. What are all those things that I'm anxious about? What are all those things that I'm worried about? And believe me, as you get, get older in and, uh, and, and life and your family expands, that list grows and grows. We have grandson number three that's not uh, sick and not doing well at the doctor this morning and not sure what's going on in, in his four year old life. Uh, but we're concerned about him. And I shot a text to our middle son this morning and he said, Well, he's, he's on the way to the doctor and uh, said he threw up a couple times this morning. He says, I feel better now. I don't have to go to the doctor. I said, no, you've got to go to the doctor, Liam. We're concerned about it, but what do we, what do, we do with that? We, we we have to give that to God and, and take all of our worries and all of our concerns to Him. And then here's the promise, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts, your emotions, your minds, your thoughts in Christ Jesus. I love Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. The prophet Isaiah gives us some good advice with worry and concern Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, we read these words, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Don't focus on your circumstances but focus on God, who he is and his promises. What is the significance of Emmanuel, God, with us? Well, we have a Savior. Our sins are forgiven. We can have serenity, peace with God, but also that experiential day-by-day peace that God wants to fill our hearts with. Thirdly, we have a sympathetic high priest. So we have a Savior. We can have serenity. We can have peace. But we also have a sympathetic high priest. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now the author of Hebrews describes this high priest, Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Some translations say, sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Max Lucado has written a book entitled "Next Door Savior." Jesus came to this world and he experienced all the temptations that you and I have experienced. The only difference is he never gave he never gave into temptation. So here is the application, verse sixteen. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Jesus has walked in our shoes. Jesus has experienced what we've experienced. And so we have a sympathetic high priest and the invitation is come to him. He knows, he understands, and you will find grace and mercy in your time of need. So Max Lucato writes these words from next door Savior. Ever feel as if you need to get away? So did Jesus. Mark 1.35 Early in the morning while it was still war- dark, Jesus woke and left the house. He went to a lonely place where he prayed. Ever have so many demands that you can't stop for lunch? Jesus can relate. Mark 6:31 Crowds of people were coming and going so that Jesus and his followers did not even have time to eat. Do you ever have too much email to fit on a screen or too many calls to make in a day? Jesus has been there. Great crowds came to Jesus, bringing with him the lame, the blind, the crippled, those who could not speak. They put him at Jesus' feet and Jesus healed them. Ever have family tension, family difficulties? Jesus did too. Mark 3.21, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him home with them. He's out of his mind, they said. It's interesting, Jesus' own family. He had brothers and sisters afterwards, the Gospels tell us. They came to believe in their brother as the Messiah after the resurrection, but while he was growing up, they're like, this guy's crazy. Uh, they, They had family tension. Have you ever been falsely accused? Enemies called Jesus a wino. The night before his death, they tried to find something false against Jesus so they could kill him. Did you ever have friends let you down when Christ needed help? His disciples were sleeping. Why did Jesus do all have to go through all that? So that he could be a relatable and a sympathetic high priest. So the invitation of Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, and I will give you grace and mercy because I've walked in your shoes. Because God became flesh, we have a Savior, and we can have serenity, and we can have a sympathetic high priest. But there's one more reason, uh, application of, of many, but we're going to just look at one more this morning. Uh, God with us, uh, the significance of it. And the last one is that we have a shepherd. We have a shepherd. Jesus, in one of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, we're familiar with these. He gave seven statements along with seven miracles to, to demonstrate that he was the Son of God. Uh but one of those statements was he said, I am what the the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John ten fourteen, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. So Jesus begins to unpack this and says, uh the shepherd and the sheep have this intimate relationship. This is a personal relationship between Jesus, the good shepherd, and and his sheep. And the author of Hebrews picks up on this um, topic and this symbol in Hebrews chapter 13. And he says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may the work in us, and may He work in us what is pleasing to Him, through Jesus Christ, and so the, the the fourth reason or benefit of Jesus becoming flesh of God with us is that we have a shepherd. And probably the most familiar passage about the shepherd being uh, Jesus is uh, Psalm chapter twenty three, verse one: "The Lord is my shepherd; I have everything I need; I lack nothing." It goes on to say in Psalm 23, the benefits of, of having uh, God or Jesus as our shepherd, not only does He provide for all of our needs, but it says he, he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the quiet waters. He refreshes our soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. He'll lead us. He'll refresh us. He will guide us and show us the way. He does that primarily through His Word, by the way. Psalm one hundred and nineteen one oh five, Thy Word is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He'll show us the pathway. He'll lead us through our lives. He will guide us all the way home. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to be afraid. Chip Ingram wrote a book, I'm I'm With You Always, Experiencing God in Time of Need. This is what he has to say about that phrase, the valley of the shadow of death. He says, It describes a frequent event in the physical life of the sheep. During part of the year, the shepherd keeps his flock in the lowlands where the grazing is good. When the weather changes and all the lush grass is up in the mountains, the shepherd leads his sheep through ravines and valleys to get to the green pastures. So in the course of the changing seasons, the flock must journey through the mountains, in and out of the darkness, in the valleys of shadows. Those shadowy valleys are where the predators lie in wait to capture their prey. That's the scene David described. Literally, the the valley of the shadow of death then refers to the flocks travels through unfamiliar and dangerous territory. Figuratively, it relates to those dark times when you cannot make sense of what is going on around you. The promise here isn't simply that God will take us through the shadow of the fear of death, but that He will take us through whatever crisis we face, no matter how fearful No matter how dangerous, David assures us we don't have to be afraid because God is with us, even when we go through the valleys. We have a shepherd who's going to walk us through the the challenging times of life, who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. And Psalm 23 concludes, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the the psalmist ends this this picture of the great shepherd who, who walks us through life, who walks us through our dark times and our trials. And he says, he's going to shepherd us all the way home to heaven. We have the great shepherd of the sheep. Emmanuel, God with us. It means that he's become flesh and he's, offered a perfect sacrifice and therefore we have a Savior. It means that we can experience relational peace with God and also through the circumstances and challenges of life, the peace of God in our life. It means that when we are uh, going through hard times and difficulty, we have a sympathetic high priest by the name of Jesus who wants us to boldly come into his presence and pour our heart out to him. And there we will find what? Grace and mercy and help in our time of need. We have a shepherd who will guide us and walk us through the valleys of life until we reach our final Back in 1987, um, Michael Card, who's a prolific songwriter, um, he's also a prolific Bible teacher these days, uh, wrote a song by the name uh, of Emmanuel. And, uh, it's, it's a psalm that, uh, song that just, uh, ties in exactly what we're, uh, thinking about this morning. I think we, and I think we have this, uh, song on video ready to go. Yep, we do. All right. Why, sh- why did I, why did I doubt? Why did I doubt? Cause I didn't confirm it ahead of time, but I, I should have known better. Um, so I want us to listen to this, uh, wonderful song, E-E Emmanuel. We've had the privilege. The Michael. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll go be for it. Given.
1: A virgin will conceive A human baby bearing undiminished deity The glory of the nations A light for all to see And hope for all who will embrace His warm reality E you
0: with me as I read some words of Scripture as we close this morning that ties in. This is what the Apostle Paul had to say as he closes out Romans chapter 8. They're great words to uh, take with us as we close out 2021 and we think about a new year. He writes, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we're so thankful that God is with us, that you sent your son, Emmanuel, uh, the wonderful Counselor, the everlasting Father, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, And he tabernacled with us, and he went to that cross and died for our sins. Lord, thank you that we can have a Savior. Thank you that our sins are forgiven. Lord, thank you that we can have serenity, we can have peace with you. We can have the peace of God. And Lord, even when we go through the storm, we thank you that that your promises and your peace can be in our hearts and lives. Lord, thank you that you have given us a sympathetic high priest, who knows our weaknesses and understands how we feel because He's experienced it. He's walked in our shoes. And we can find grace and mercy and and peace in You. And Lord, thank You that we have a shepherd that will walk us through the trials and the dark valleys of life and will shepherd us all the way home. And so thank You, Lord, as we close out another year as we begin a new year, that we do so with confidence because if you are with us and you are for us, no one can stand against us. And thank you for that promise and that peace that it brings. And we'll give you all the praise in the name of our Savior, Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen.